We are uh, concluding our sermon series today entitled The Christmas Story. And we're going to go right back to the verse that we've used the whole time because this verse is full. This verse is packed. This verse is deep. This verse is one that you can not only spend uh, four weeks on the way we did, because we're going to do a sermon next week about the future of the church. We're going to talk about our vision for the upcoming year and our vision for the upcoming years for the bridge. We'll be talking about that next week. And then on the following week, we'll begin a new series called God in a Box. And uh, basically, the scripture for that series is, is anything too big for God? Is anything too hard for God? We don't want to put God in a box. So we'll be talking about that in uh, January. But today, we want to conclude this series, and I know Christmas is behind us, but the words that Isaiah called Jesus, the names that Isaiah called Jesus, uh, he did not do that in a casual manner. He, it's not just uh, some words that he sat around and went, okay, wonderful would be good, and counselor, that would be good. And no, no, no. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words that describe Jesus Christ. So we're going to dig a little deeper into that today. Let's uh, read the scripture, Isaiah 9 and 6, Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Child is born is the uh, deity of Christ, or the uh, humanity of Christ. Unto us a son is given, that speaks of the deity of Christ. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, this verse was written, as I've told you every week, seven to eight hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ. In the first week, we talked about the supernatural nature of Jesus. In the second week, we talked about the mysteries concerning the humanity of Jesus. Last week, we started on this list of names, and we dealt with only one name that he called Jesus, and it was the name Wonderful, Wonderful. So what we'll look at today our Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So let's look at the last four names. Counselor. He called him Counselor. Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about not the Messiah that we look back at. He's talking about the Messiah that he's looking forward to because this is before the birth of Jesus. Did you know that the Old Testament, that's all about looking for Jesus to come the first time, looking for the cross, looking for the resurrection. That's what the Old Testament was all about. Since Jesus came in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, died on the cross, rose from the dead. Now all of us born from that time, we look back at the cross but the salvation provided for men in the Old Testament was because of what Jesus was going to do. The salvation provided for us in the New Testament age is what Jesus already did. But it's the same work of the Messiah that causes men to have a relationship with God and go to heaven when they die. But Jesus, Jesus the Christ, is the ultimate counselor. Do you ever need a counselor? Do you ever need somebody to talk to? Do you ever need some wisdom from somebody? Jesus, 
is your ultimate counselor. Uh, sometimes we treat Jesus like the last resort, the last idea. We try everything else, and then in desperation we come to Jesus. Here's my challenge for you in the new year. Let Jesus be your first thought. Let Jesus be your first thought. No matter what you encounter in 2015, let Jesus be your first thought. Don't have plan A, B, C, D, E, and then when all of those fail, go, well, I guess I got to pray. I guess I got to pray. By the way, that was my phone that I didn't turn off. But sometimes you will hear that ding when I have a good idea. So anyway, <laughs> which is very rare. <laughs> um, so, so when you're going into this new year, everybody, say, let's say a prayer. Let's say a prayer right now. Uh, repeat after me. That we're going to just pray to God together as a church. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of your son Jesus that as we go into 2015, everything I encounter, you will be my first thought, not my last resort. Ah, oh, what would happen in our lives? If we didn't say, well, I'm going to try this and then, and then I'm going to try this and then, and then I'm going to try this and then, and I'm going to try this and then. But what if he was our first thought? What if when we came to him it wasn't in desperation? I love Dr. Vance Havner. Dr. Vance Havner, you should just go to YouTube, put in Vance Havner. Don't do it while I'm preaching because he preaches better than me, so don't do it. But he's passed away. He's one of the... <clears throat> forefathers, one of those who's gone on. He said he was praying with a lady at the altar one time. She came to give her heart to Christ, and he, he, was, he was talking to her, and, um, and uh, he, she was telling him all about her problems, and he was trying to tell her, you know, well, Jesus is the answer. And finally, she caught on to what he was saying, and she said, so you're saying that I need to take all this to God. This needs to be God's, and I need to pray about it. And, and he said, yes. She said, well, I didn't know it had come to that. And that's how we are. Has it come to that, that i I got to go to God with this? Listen, that ought to be your what? First thought, not your last resort. He's the ultimate counselor. He's our counselor. You can say he's my counselor. He's personal. Let Jesus be your counselor in the year to come. We have questions about our life. How, he, he's the only one who can give us true wisdom. The wisdom of God is not of this world. It is supernatural. Jesus doesn't give us natural wisdom. He gives us supernatural wisdom. That means you can't learn it. You can't go to school and learn it. You can't get a degree and have it. The wisdom that God gives is supernatural. It only comes by being one of his children and crying out to him and saying, I desire your wisdom. I desire your discernment. I desire your insight into my situation. I desire your guidance because it is supernatural. You can be a graduate of only the third grade or the sixth grade, or maybe you didn't graduate from high school, you can still have the wisdom of God because it isn't learned in a classroom. 
You ask yourself the question, how am I supposed to live? Jesus will tell you. He is your counselor. What should I say? Jesus will tell you. He's your counselor. You know why I say the wrong thing so often? Because I don't talk to him as much as I should about what I should say. You know, talking about that, you ask for these things when you're not desperate. How am I to live? Lord, I want your counsel in how I am to live. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what you're going to encounter tomorrow. You're not what, you don't know what's going to surprise you tomorrow. So you say, God, whatever I encounter, I want you to show me how to live in that moment. I want you to show me what to say in that moment. I want you to show me when not to say anything. How am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to do? Lord, what should I embrace and what should I reject in the year to come? That's a good one right there. What should I embrace? What should I draw near to me? What should I allow in my life? And what should I not allow? People will, people will write me sometimes and call me and they'll say, should I do this, Pastor? Should I not do this? Well, if the Bible's very clear about it, that's an easy answer. But the Bible's not very clear about everything. So you don't know whether you should or you shouldn't. You know, it's not in the Bible whether you should buy a SUV or a Prius. That's not in there. You might find it in the book of Samaritans. There's people looking for that right now. It's not in there. So how do we know what to do? How do we know? It's not in there whether you should purchase or not purchase, borrow or not borrow, whether you should have this person in your life or not have this person in your life. Sometimes that's unclear. So we need to let him be our counselor. Should I embrace this or should I reject this? The wise answer to these questions and all our other questions are wrapped up in the ultimate counselor. He's our counselor. His name is Jesus. Look what he says in Colossians 2 and 2, uh, 2, 2b through 3. That means the last part of verse 2 all the way through verse 3. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. We talked about mysteries in this series. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. Anybody need knowledge? Amen. I've met some of you. Say yes. <laughs> to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden, how much? All of the what? Of what? It's in him. It's in him. As you look around you in this thoroughly messed up world, here's the entire problem in a nutshell in the world. How many of y'all know this world's messed up? Can I tell you why? I'm going to tell you why it's messed up. The world, for the most part, has rejected the wisdom of God. It's not complicated. Why is that happening? And why is this happening? And why is there trouble over here? And why are they killing these innocent children? And why? Because they've rejected the wisdom of God. They've rejected the wisdom of God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's wrong with this world. They're reaping the fruit of their foolishness. When you reject the wisdom of God, you're being foolish. When you reject the knowledge of God, you're being foolish. 
I read it a couple of weeks ago, Romans 3.24, in the message it says, He came to rescue us from the mess we're in. The mess we're in started in the Garden of Eden when we chose to go our own way and not buy into the wisdom of God and not buy into the knowledge of God. That's where trouble comes to the whole wide world, and that's where trouble comes in your little world when you say, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing. Thanks, God, but I got this. Jesus, in being our counselor, He's not the annoyed counselor. You ever been to a counselor who was annoyed with you right off the bat? Jesus is not the annoyed counselor. Jesus is not the impatient counselor. He's not the disengaged counselor. You ever been to a counselor and while you were talking to them, you could tell they were thinking about something else? Sometimes when you come to me for counseling, you don't know what that expression on my face means. Here's what it means. What in the world are you going to do about this? I mean, that's the counselor you want to go to, isn't it? You're talking to a guy and he's thinking, what are you going to do? So what God is saying to us here is I'm not impatient. I'm not disengaged. I don't assume anything. I'm not insensitive to you. I'm not an unresponsive counselor. I'm a counselor who cares. I'm a counselor who understands what you're going through. Jesus is saying to us today, I am a counselor who will instruct you and advise you, and I will walk beside you through whatever we're facing. He's the only counselor that you can go to when you get up to leave your session with him. He goes with you. He's a counselor. Look at what it says in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have, we do not have a counselor, a high priest. We do not have a pastor in Jesus, a priest in Jesus, a spiritual leader in Jesus, a counselor in Jesus. We do not have a counselor who is unable to sympathize. We do not serve a high priest. We do not serve a king we do not serve a Savior. We do not serve a mighty God, an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace who is unable to sympathize with us. The counselor we serve is able to sympathize with our what? He's been through it all. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he never failed. He never sinned. This is our counselor. It's interesting to note that the Hebrew word for wonderful is pila, P-E-L-A, which actually means wonder or miracle. So when you read that verse, wonderful counselor, it's wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. That means he is a miraculous counselor. The word wonderful does not just mean he's delightful. The word wonderful does not just mean he's pleasing. The word wonderful means he's miraculous. He, he is the God of miracles. You come to me for counseling, I'm going to point you to him. I can't help you. I've got my own stuff. You come see me, you come see Pastor Scott and Sherry, who are marriage and family life pastors who were just up here. You come see them, they're going to point you to him. They don't have it in them to help you. They're going to point you to him because he is the miracle working counselor 
The Lord Jesus Christ does for us what nobody else can do for us. The title, Wonderful Counselor, means the wisdom of Jesus Christ applied to your life is like nothing else. See, some of you are sitting here today and you're still in the I'm going to work this out mode. You're trying to fix something yourself. You're leaning on your, the Bible calls that leaning on your own understanding, leaning on your own wisdom, leaning on your own knowledge. You say, well, I've got a lot of experience. Makes no difference. He wants you to lean on him. You see, his counsel is supernaturally insightful. We can't get it from any other source. None of us can afford to be making life decisions without a guiding word from the miraculous counselor. The miraculous counselor. The one who not only advises, but then works that miracle in your life. You cannot call him wonderful counselor if you don't embrace his wisdom. You can't say he's my wonderful counselor if you are only listening to your own counsel. Or the counsel of some book you found that's not about God, that doesn't point you to Jesus. You can't say he's my wonderful counselor if you don't embrace his salvation. If you don't embrace it for your family, for your finances, for your future, for everything. That's my challenge for you as we go into this new year. Come to the wonderful counselor and say in 2015, that's going to be my first thought is he knows what I need to do. He knows what I need to say. He knows what I need to embrace. He knows what I need to reject. He knows who needs to be in my life. He knows who doesn't need to be in my life. He knows who I should listen to. He knows who I should not listen to. He knows it all. So instead of me trying to figure it out and then come to him in desperation, he's going to be my first thought. In 2015, you cannot call him your wonderful counselor if you don't embrace his wisdom. When it comes to the term counselor, the idea in Scripture is not the same idea in the secular world. The idea in Scripture is not a person who listens. They will tell you in this world, and I agree with that, that the main thing a counselor does in, in the human natural world is listen. Have you ever been to a counselor who wouldn't stop talking? And you're there to tell them. So one of the greatest qualities of a counselor in the earth and in the natural is to be a good listener, but not with Jesus. This is a secular understanding, this whole thing of listening. The biblical idea of Jesus being our counselor involves his hearing us, but also advising us. He is not a passive counselor. He's not passive. Miraculous counselor, wonderful counselor, describes somebody who's wise. It describes somebody who really knows how to live life abundantly. And it describes someone who will share that wisdom with you. How to live a full life, an abundant life. Isn't that what we're all after? The more that you're immersed in Scripture... This is so important what I'm about to say. The more that you are immersed in Scripture and the more that you are immersed in community with other believers, like one of our life groups, I hope you'll get into one this year, the more clearly you can discern the mind of Christ. The more you are in the Word of God and prayer and the more you're in community with other believers, the right kind of people, 
the more you can discern the mind and wisdom of Christ. Listen to this statement. The wonderful counselor or the wonderful counsel of God comes to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and through other believers who we know walk with him. Can I just ask you some questions as you go into the new year? Are you keeping a regular appointment with your wonderful counselor? Some of you pay counselors over $100 an hour and you wouldn't dare miss that appointment. It's so important. Let me ask you something. How's your appointment going with the wonderful counselor? Are you as expectant to meet with him as you are your counselor in the world? And I'm not against counseling in the world. I just told you that some of God's greatest counsel comes through other believers. I wouldn't go to a counselor who's not a believer tell me how to live my life but are you having appointments with him do you set aside time in a day 15 minutes you say I'm way more than 15 minutes you know what if you're not spending any time with God and your only prayer life is wrapped up in God is good God is great let us thank him for our food by his hands we are fed give us all our daily bread if that's your prayer life right there that's so shallow, so meaningless. I'm asking you, what's your prayer life like? How can we sit around and be disgusted with our life? How can we sit around and be depressed about our life? How can we sit around and be discouraged about our life? How can we sit around and complain about our life when we never talk to the giver of life? We never spend any time with the one who gives life, the one who created us, the one who made us. Are you keeping regular appointments with this counselor? Are you following his instructions when he does tell you something? When you're in need of guidance, why would we hesitate to respond to Jesus' willingness, willingness to be our wonderful counselor? How can we know that he's ready to help us and not go to him? The wisdom of Christ is available. It's available. It's not hidden. It might be hidden to the world. I was up here a while ago. It might be hidden to the world, but it's not hidden to us. The wisdom of Christ is available whether or not we accept it, whether or not we seek it, whether or not we make use of it. If you decide to walk in your own wisdom in 2015, it won't be because he's not available to you to give him your wisdom, give, him his, give you his wisdom, if I can get that out. Look at Hebrews 4.16. We looked at Hebrews 4.15. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore what? All right, we can do it better than that. Here, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore to the throne of grace that we may what? Get. Get it. That we may get it. It's available. We can get it. That we may obtain and find to <laughs> help. You ever just wanted to yell that out in our time of need? He's available. That verse right there is telling us that to his children, he is available. Now, if you're not one of his children, the first thing you need to do is come to him for salvation. You need to give your life to him today. When you bow before his throne, it is there you will meet your wonderful counselor. Let's look at the next word. 
we won't spend as much time on these last ones. He's also not only called Wonderful and Counselor and Wonderful Counselor, but he's called the Mighty God. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For where? In Christ. Lives all the fullness. You, you, I, you're probably out there sometimes, you wonder, why does he keep bringing up, we've got to give our heart to Jesus, we've got to give our life to Jesus, we've got to surrender our life to Jesus. Because all of these promises are only if you are what? In Christ. See, you can't reject Christ and go, well, I'll buy into the other stuff, but I'm not ready to buy into him. No, it's in him that all this other stuff comes. For in Christ lives all the what? Fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your what? That's why I keep bringing it up. You are only complete when you, through your union with Christ. That's the only way you're complete. Who is the head over every ruler and authority. So what that verse is telling us, it is just reinforcing what Isaiah said hundreds of years earlier when Isaiah said he is the mighty God. Matthew 28, 18 confirms that Jesus has been given all power. Jesus has been given all power on heaven and in earth. He is the mighty God. You're not going to see this scripture come up, but write it down if you're taking notes. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 teaches us that, as I've said already in this series, Jesus is the one who made it all. He is the mighty God who created it all. And billions of suns came from his hands, and oceans dripped from his fingers. All that you see and all that you cannot see came from the hand of Jesus Christ because he is not just little baby in a manger, not, less, not just Jesus with flowing garments walking peacefully through the earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is the mighty God. Jesus is the mighty God. See him as the mighty God. He's often portrayed as some, some little uh, pale, sanctimonious recluse with his little hands folded and he's weak. And Listen to me. He is the mighty God. He was there at creation. He flung the stars into space. He created the planets. He is the mighty God. Number four, not only is he wonderful, Counselor and mighty God, he's everlasting Father. You say, wait a minute, I thought he was God the Son. Listen to this. He is the only one who could say in John 10, 30, he said, I and my Father are one. And then look in John 14, 6 through 11, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And in Philippians 2 and 6, Paul tells us Jesus was equal with God. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I remember Brandon and Mitch used to tell people that. <laughs> if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And they prayed to grow out of it. Isn't it amazing sometimes when you see little children and how much they look like their parents? And you just look at them and if they look like their daddy, you're like, heal them, Jesus. Heal this child. You know, that's what my boys were praying for. If Jesus the Son is not equal, listen to this now. I'm going to get in some doctrine here. If Jesus the Son is not equal with God the Father, then you have no business worshiping Jesus the Son. 
If Jesus the Son is not equal with God the Father, you have no business worshiping him. See, if Jesus is not equal with God the Father, to worship him would be idolatry because it would mean you are worshiping more than one God. Jesus the Son, equal with God the Father. And then let me close with number five. I know some of you doubted me, but I am closing here. He's not only wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. Christmas has been hard for me and Miss Millie this year. And it's been hard for you, some of you. Some of you, Millie and I experienced the loss of our son in March. Some of you have experienced death in your family recently, just before Christmas, right at Christmas. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying this has been a different kind of Christmas for us. But I'm telling you, we have found this one to be true. He is the Prince of Peace. When you are confused, when you don't understand, when you don't get it, Last night, I don't know why, but just last night I rolled and tumbled in the bed and I thought about Mitch. I couldn't get him out of my mind. I hadn't struggled like that the whole time. And then I just remembered what I was preaching today. And I started thinking about my sermon today and I went right off to sleep. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure <laughs> what that means. Now here, here is the welcome of the Prince of Peace. Here's the welcome. Jesus welcomes us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest, peace. That is your invitation. That is your welcome. You feel, you feel laborious. Your life feels laborious. Your life feels like a burden. Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you peace and rest in the midst of it. Maybe you're thinking, there is no peace on earth. There's not yet, but there will be peace on earth. There will be when Jesus comes again. The second time, there will be peace on earth because of man's failure in the Garden of Eden and because of our rejection of the Prince of Peace in the little town of Bethlehem. That's the reason there's no peace and there won't be any peace until there's peace in Jerusalem. And there will be no peace in Jerusalem until Jerusalem crowns her king, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns. But there can be personal peace now. There's not going to be world peace until he comes back. But listen, there can be personal peace in your world, in your life, right now. Isaiah called it, Peace like a river in Isaiah 66. Peace like a river. Paul said it this way in Romans 5 and 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. You can have peace with God. There's the promise of the peace with God, but you don't get it apart from Jesus. It is through Jesus Christ. You ever heard somebody say the Hebrew word, the Jewish word, shalom? Shalom, it's the way they greet each other. Hello, shalom. It is a universal greeting and it means peace. A complete state of well-being. 
That's what Jesus gives. The angels on the night of his birth announced it this way. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Anybody can have peace when the sun is shining and everything is going great, but the peace that God offers is a peace that controls your heart and keeps us calm when the world is raging around us. The peace of God is like a, a thermostat. It's not like a thermometer. A thermometer measures the temperature in the room. A thermostat sets the temperature in the room. The peace of God doesn't measure the peace, it sets it. Does that make sense? So in your world, it can be very unpeaceful, but the Holy Spirit's that thermostat that will make your life peaceful in a very unpeaceful, is that a word? World. A world filled with turmoil. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He's your counselor. Let him be your counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Why in the world would we avoid him when he will be all of that to us gladly in the new year to come? It'll change your life. I mean, if you'll write those names on a little post-it note and post it on the refrigerator door and post it on the dashboard of your car and just keep it right there for 2014, every time you go through a storm, just say those names. You are that, Lord. You are that. You are that. And then walk in it. He'll be there for you. God don't make promises and not keep them. When God makes you a promise, when he says, I'll be that to you, you can count on it. He's never broken a promise. Let's all stand.